Well, I'm so glad that you're here. If, if, if you're brand new, I got to do a disclaimer. Uh, and I don't, I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that you're tuning in. How, uh, but this, what we've been talking about as a church, we've been answering questions that, well, God answered questions and we're just picking up the questions and connecting to the answers. Uh, and we're going through the top 10 questions in all of life that are so important to you and I. But I don't normally do this. Uh, you really need, I really hope that you'll, you'll go back to last week's sermon if you missed it. Because it was a bit of a precursor to this sermon. Now, it's kind of like if you go to part two of a movie, you're like, should I have watched part one? Like, am I going to be totally confused? And no, no, no. I'm going to try to help make sure that we all understand what's going on. But just as a disclaimer, uh, this moment will have more weight and understanding for you. If you go watch last week's, that's not just a push to get you to watch it. It just will plug some pieces in. Okay. So before we can answer this week's question, I, I want to just talk to you about some stuff to set it up. Uh, I'm asking a question. Have you ever, and I really want some participation. This includes everyone, even if you're watching like on your phone somewhere. So, okay. Have you ever had someone pay your bill for you or your tab for you? And as if you ever had that like restaurant or if, if you're a, if you were ever a child, you likely, you should be like, yeah, someone footed something for you. Like, I'm just, just helping you. Some of us were like, oh, that's right. Someone was paying the bills. So uh, I remember one time, uh, Ellie and I, she was, had some free time. And we're like, hey, can I take you on a bit of a, a, a daddy-daughter date kind of a thing? And, and I was like, where do you want to go? And, and she said, uh, Texas Roadhouse. And I was like, you're my daughter. You're my daughter. You're my daughter. And I immediately transferred to, there's roles. Yes, sweetie, I want to talk to you, but there's roles. And so we went there, and, and I sat with my daughter, and we had some of the just coolest conversations. Just she and I, no one else. She's on the other side of the booth. I'm asking questions. Uh, and a lot of times when there was even dead space, we would even play tic-tac-toe just to kind of bridge the gap of not sure what all to say. So, uh, so we get done with the meal. I'm not going to tell you how many rolls I have, okay? I'm just not going to tell you that. It's not important. It's not relevant to this, this whole story. <laughs> well, we got done, and as you would expect, and what's normal is uh, the, the waitress comes up like, hey, you guys, you guys want anything else? And we're like, no, we're good. Uh, I've had too many rolls. So and the answer is no on the dessert. So I said, so uh, just, just our bill, please. And she says, uh, someone already paid your bill for you. And I was like, say what? So we do the natural thing, like, like looking around and who in the world? And the waitress said, stop. They're anonymous. They're gone. And my daughter and I, just, we just stared at each other. We're like, what in the world? Now, for those of you who don't know, I arrived ready to pay that bill. Just for those of you like, that was not the only plan we had. I could afford that meal. But it was a big deal. I'll never forget. That's why I can tell you the story. Right now, I can visualize the moment. This, that's how special it was. It was so cool. If it was you, thank you. But it was just, it was this moment. It's so cool. Okay, let's, let's go a little bit further. Have you, have you ever had someone pay a bill for you that you couldn't, you couldn't pay for at the time? You bit of a, it was a bit of an IOU. If you've ever had that experience, you know how big of a deal that is, where you find yourself going, I need that, but uh, I don't have the money for that. For me, and you might be about to lose a lot of respect for me, I'm just going to prepare you for this. It was not one of my finest moments uh, financially. Uh, it came time for me to propose to my eventual wife, right? And that you, if you don't know how this works, if you've never done this, uh, you're, su <clears throat> you're supposed to have enough money 
to buy said ring with diamonds in it kind of a thing, right? You're supposed to at least, like supposed to. I didn't have that. But it was time for a ring. So I was talking to my parents, and this is where I said, you might lose some respect for me. My dad said, hey, we'll front you the money. We know you've got a plan. I shared with them. I just needed a little bit of time. Isn't that the typical thing, though? Like, I just need a little bit of time, a little bit of time. And so I I was like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, And so my parents fronted me the money, uh, and I didn't have it. And I bought Katie's engagement ring. Now, to try to regain some respect. Can, can, can you give me a little? Some of you have tuned me out. You're done. You're like, forget you, man. Uh, at the time, I had a custom uh, acoustic guitar made by Taylor Guitars. I happen to know some of the people involved with that uh, business, and they uh, let me buy a discount this custom-made acoustic guitar like, like no other. I put that thing on eBay uh, and sold it, and I paid my parents back. I just want you to know this. I feel like that needs to be a part of the story. The, the important part is I didn't have the money, and someone gave me some money, and that was a big deal. How about this? Deeper question. Have you ever had someone pay for something, and you knew it would be impossible to pay back? Just for a second, think about it. Like, like you knew there was no selling a guitar. There was no plan in place. And in fact, you would say, it is actually impossible for me to do like in the best way to make ourselves even. It's impossible. That's a big deal. Let, let me tell you a story of this moment happening. I'll show you a picture of Vincent, little five-year-old Vincent in the hospital. This story was told several years ago by, by multiple news agencies. The story goes out this way. Vincent and his, and his family are at... Sequoia National Park. They're to spend the day there. Just if you've, I've not been there, but I've seen pictures. It looks amazing. But they're at Sequoia National Park, and they're going to go enjoy it. They show up at 7 a.m. That's how excited they are as a whole family to just like hike through the place and see all the beauty. They're walking along at the time of, of well, you see that he's in the hospital. They're walking along a river. Now, like any good parent, you're like, like hey, Vincent, stay away from the river. But if you know anything about that area, it had been very rainy and slippery and wet. I'll spare you all of the details, but there are certain details you need to know. Vincent falls into the river, slips right in, five years old. If you don't know anything about that river there, the current is rather strong. It's not like a, it's not like a little still body of water. It's, it's not like, well, in our area, it's not like Canyon Lake, right? It's like... It, if, if you go in, there, the water's going to take you. So what happens in a moment, and this is so special and meaningful, Victor, a family member of his, jumps into the river and grabs him. So far, the whole story makes perfect sense, right? What you need to know is, Victor, when he jumps in, he doesn't know how to swim. It tells you a little bit more about the cost that Victor was willing to take, right? Jumping in to save five-year-old little Vincent, Victor jumps in not knowing, not like well-knowing, like, I don't know how this plays out, but I'm going to try my best to save this kid. Grabs him, and the river begins to take both of them. The way it's detailed is they go underwater, 
They go above water. They go up and down. Victor, the whole time, is trying to get Vincent lifted up above the water enough a little bit. The parents are actually kind of like running along the water, trying to, trying to help and trying to get in the water and all. And eventually, a last-ditch effort this moment, this is why we have a picture of Vincent in the hospital, uh, Victor's able to throw the boy to his parents, and the dad is able to grab his arm and pull him in. Now, emergency measures have to be taken, and they save the life of Vincent. He's saved. It's not the same news for Victor. When he throws that boy, uh, he goes underwater and never comes back up alive. Two hours later, they would find his body. I don't tell you that story to try to pull at your emotional heartstrings. That's one way I can share with you that that's what Jesus did for you. That Jesus jumped into the river that you've been swimming in, that you're in, that you're, you're at risk of, of dying, and he, he jumped into the water to save you at the cost, listen, of his own life. For you and I, sometimes, I mean, I could stand up and say, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. And you'd be like, neat. It doesn't necessarily land, especially if you've been told before. Like, when I say Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you so much, you and I have to begin to look at life and say, okay, I've heard that before, but uh, I want you to, if you don't hear anything else as part of the sermon, Jesus loves you so much to jump into your life and to save your life, to get involved in your problems, your sin, your mess. He showed up into your moment and said, I got you. It's a big deal. That is the That is the lead-in to a question that the Bible answers that culture currently asks. Isn't one way to God narrow-minded? If you want to know some subtext to that, uh, uh, is is it only Jesus that saves me? Could it be Muhammad that saves me, Buddha that saves me, or maybe more currently, uh, can I just save myself in my own river, in my own mess? And so a lot of times when you, when you look at Christianity from afar, you be like, they say that Jesus saves them and there's this way of Jesus. And sometimes you can be like, that seems kind of narrow-minded. But that's when it's taken out of context. And you and I have to begin to process, who do I think has the capacity, ability, authority, and life to actually jump into my river, jump into my sin, and actually take care of it? So we ask, isn't it narrow-minded to say that Jesus is the only way? Some of us would say, Jesus wouldn't even think that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, I want to bring you to where we were last week, the tabernacle. Uh, We're not going to do virtual reality this week. I know some of you will be very disappointed. Uh, So this is the tabernacle. It was a temporary solution to your sin problem and my sin problem. If you, if you read your Bible, uh, you're going to learn that when, when God, and this is going to be God, I, again, object lesson, not perfect, I understand. When God made uh, men and women, uh, it, he made them perfectly, and they were holy, pure, all was good, you can drink this water, this is fantastic, all is well. But then, again, if you read your Bible, you're going to learn what, what plays out uh, 
some, some sin, uh, rat poison in our case, uh, enters in and now look, it's significantly different. You and I can no longer dwell with God. Again, if you want more details to this illustration, you're going to learn that, uh, one, don't drink this, two, uh, that we no longer can be with God because we are unholy. He is holy. We have sin. He has no sin. So the reason I tell you that last week was important is because I taught about the tabernacle where God said, you know what, because God loves us so much, this is incredible me just to say it out loud, God loves us so much that even though we screwed things up, he's like, I can provide a solution for your screw up, your sin. He provided the tabernacle. If the tabernacle is brand new to you, I'll give you a quick, quick orientation. I try to be quick. Okay. The leader of your home would represent your entire home, would show up to the front right here. You would show up with a lamb, most likely a lamb, a lamb that was perfect, spotless, no blemishes, absolutely, by aesthetically looking, everything you knew about it was actually the most perfect lamb that you had access to. You would bring to the very front. The priest would greet you at the front door and would examine the lamb that you had brought to see to make sure that that lamb, that sacrifice is going to be absolutely perfect. If the priest would say, yes, you have brought a worthy sacrifice, the priest would then walk you in to one of the slaughtering tables. You don't need a bunch of descriptions. Slaughtering tables makes enough of the description. It's where the perfect lamb would be killed. Eventually brought over to the altar and consumed by the fire. And this would be a process that the head of the home would have to do for himself and the whole family over and 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 over again. This became such a way of life that it was the major thing. It's what you and your family would have talked about regularly. Oh, uh, dad, the head of household has gone to do this for us. And you would not have your sins forgiven. There was no like, God, hey, I know you, I know you saw that. I'm sorry. That wouldn't have sufficed. You had to have a perfect spotless lamb or animal brought and killed to cover any sins. This is why you and I look at this kind of a thing go like, that's exhausting. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. I know you know that we don't do this anymore. I know that. I don't hear any sheep at all. Thank you. But you need to know why. You, you need to know. It's not like, yeah, they get tired of that. Or that seemed old school. So, so now, what, what happened? Jesus. Let me read something that you are familiar with, but uh, for this is how God loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave, he gave his one and only son. This is where you and I are reading about Jesus, the son of God, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, Christmas, big deal in the church, right? Well, probably a big deal to you and even your kids, right? For all different reasons. Christmas is such a big deal. You're like, why? Because it's the arrival of Jesus. He shows up and he's about to change everything. That's why we look back all the time and celebrate and celebrate and celebrate and celebrate. But let me connect this if no one's ever connected. Jesus and the tabernacle. I don't even really have to connect it. Just got to read some, some of the Bible to you. Here, uh, Hebrews. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Just stop for a second. 
when the pastor guy starts talking about blood and animals, can we admit, I mean, just please be willing to admit this, hope so, that that seems rather intense, perhaps cultish, weird, extreme, Especially in our society that's like, well, well, you've messed up, I've messed up, it's really no big deal, just say you're sorry and quit trying to hurt other people. Well, we take the Bible, the word of God seriously and look, without the shedding of blood, without someone, something dying, there is no forgiveness. You can want forgiveness, you can try better next time, you can look over and beyond what happened, but according to God, there is no, zero forgiveness without the shedding of blood. It's heavy, isn't it? It's like, wow. That is why, that is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter, Jesus, if you don't know that, for Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. And he did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Many people. This will bother some of you. For many people. Why do we say that everyone doesn't end up going to heaven? Because everyone doesn't believe what I'm sharing with you, that Jesus is the way. Many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. To sum it up, Jesus' mission was to become the permanent solution for our sin. The tabernacle, which eventually becomes the temple, is this temporary one. They would set up, tear down, eventually they built a building. Solomon, thank you, Solomon. They didn't have to set up and tear down, but you had to go to Jerusalem for this. And, and then they begin to have this epic moment where all of a sudden a baby is born in a town you and I know as Bethlehem. This baby was prophesied about, talked about, was told about details that you and I would it blow. If you've never read the prophecies about Jesus before he ever shows up, the fact that they've actually been fulfilled, it's, it's scientifically impossible, okay? It just doesn't happen. One instance, there's a guy by the name of uh, John the Baptist. Guess what he was known for? Baptizing people, just so you know. 
Now, what's interesting about John the Baptist is he was baptizing people before uh, Jesus shows up, right? He's like doing this before uh, the baptisms that you and I know about would be playing out. And so John the Baptist was, was setting the way, preparing the way for a guy, a Messiah, the Savior to show up and actually be the final sacrifice, to actually change the whole entire system, to fulfill the whole system. He had been told by God, you will prepare a way. So John the Baptist was considered crazy by many. He would go around before Jesus ever is known. Hey, there's a, there's a guy coming. I, I'm, I'm changing his words, but uh, he's coming. He's going to save us. He's going he's to die. In fact, there's a moment that's recorded in history. It's in the Bible where John the Baptist and Jesus cross paths for the first time. John 1.36. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, like says this out loud. Look, there is the Lamb of God. That's weird. You, you don't go up to someone and then call him a lamb, a sheep. Nowadays, it's kind of a criticism. John the Baptist, they, they cross paths. And the guy who was told by God to prepare the way for the Lamb of God, for the sacrifice to show up, to fix the whole thing, that guy shows up, they cross paths, and the first thing he doesn't say, dude, he says, look, and he's telling this to everybody, not there's the Lamb, end of sentence, there's the Lamb of God. This is why it's crucial for you and I to understand the tabernacle. Because all of these people, over and over and over and over and over again, were bringing the most spotless lamb to the temple at this time, over and over again to cover their sins. And now there's this guy, who none of them really know, comes out of nowhere, called the Lamb of God, a prophecy being fulfilled. Let me show you another prophecy in Isaiah, spoken a long time before Jesus ever shows up. And what you and I know about Jesus, that's documented all over the place. This is said before it ever happens. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Hmm. Crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Said hundreds of years before that ever happened. Jesus prepared a way with prophecies, but even a guy was ready to prepare the way, John the Baptist. Now what I'm about to read to you, most of you have at least heard this or know glimpses of it. But let me take you to the end of Jesus' life. Matthew tells the details. After they had nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. For the first 39, the people passing by shouted abuse shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple 
and rebuild it in three days. Stop for a second. Notice what he said. He said it because they're saying he said it, right? This is, this, this is mean people talking to Jesus, yelling at Jesus. And he said over and over, he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. You're like, that's physically impossible. Many of you know the story and you're like, oh my. Well, then if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. Aren't you glad that he didn't? The leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others. But he can't save himself. Yeah, he could. But he chose not to. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now. And we will believe in him. They're asking for a momentary miracle that would have compromised the eternity of billions of people. You ever think about these moments why Jesus on a cross has all the power and could have stepped off the cross, could have like beamed himself off the cross? There's a lot of options he would have had because he's Jesus. He could have just been done with the cross. And think about our culture right now that's trying to get every right that we ever deserve to get, get all the respect that we ever have earned and not even earned. We want everyone to acknowledge us for who we are. And come on, like we want what we deserve. Yet Jesus stayed on the cross and he could have gotten down. He could have done who knows what right there. But he stayed there. Which gives you and I an example of what he was doing. He was in your river and my river saying no one else can save these people. So he stayed there. This should mess with you that someone was willing to do this for you. And then amp it up that God was willing to do this for you. And then Jesus dies right there on the cross. And what happens next, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, ties it all together for you. The tabernacle, the temple, and Jesus. Matthew 27, verse 50, lets us know something that happened physically. Again, a historical account. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. He dies. But watch. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. And note the detail. From top to bottom. You're like, what's the big deal? Well, let me show you an artist's rendition of the Holy of Holies, the veil, the curtain that they're speaking of. How do you tear that from top to bottom? And then if you listened even last week, you learned that, oh no, if that gets torn, everyone in the vicinity dies right then and there because now they've got access to the presence of God. So for that to tear open at the moment Jesus dies, meaning Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, just died, which means the tabernacle, the temple, all of that was all put into place. That sacrificial system was now taken care of, redeemed, fixed. It's all because of Jesus. Now Jesus paid our way back to holy. That's the lesson 
Like, who cares about the, the curtain being torn? It means that no longer can only a high priest once a year, day of atonement, enter that place, and hopefully he's done his life right and done all the sacrifices right. No longer do you and I have to like, well, head of the household goes to the temple now, bring the best lamb and do all this kind of stuff. It's because Jesus, proven by fact, actually historical moments, God himself steps down onto earth in the form of a man steps into your river and my river and says, I know this is going to cost me my life, but you're worth it. That's why when someone says Jesus loves you, it should powerfully affect your soul because you, you and I, how we do life, we often don't realize it. It's dramatically affected. And then, then the Bible doesn't even stop there. It just keeps going, keeps going. First Corinthians says something that should be like, What? 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body, yeah, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. You know that price. So you must honor God with your body. When you're a Christian, the very Spirit of God dwells in you, which means when you are crying out for wisdom and discernment, comfort, the great encourager is right there with you according to God. So is one way to God narrow-minded? I don't think so. John 14, 6, just so you know, if you think all religions lead uh, to God, you can't follow Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're like, what's that mean? No one can come to the Father except through me. Was he being narrow-minded? No. He's like, no, I'm the only one who can do it. So you can like the things of Buddhism and Islam and all the other stuff. You can think that you can try to save yourself, but that's not what a follower of Jesus Christ believes. We believe that Jesus came to this earth, died for us, so that we could be saved. And now, instead of a slaughtering table, that's such a visual for you and I, we now have the cross. Not simply designed to just be a, maybe a necklace or a tattoo or an earring or or something on your wall. But something that does something to you that reminds you there used to be a slaughtering table. And then Jesus allowed himself to be put onto a different version of a slaughtering table. Created by the Romans to shame and create pain. And he died. So you and I have something to decide. How do we respond to Jesus? Jesus would say, all roads don't lead to him. So what do you do with them? The Bible gives us help on, okay, I, I believe this, 1 John 1, 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, and to cleanse us from all, all wickedness. If you're like, what's that? Like to cleanse you of all your sins. To no longer, well, your sin, your shame, all that kind of stuff, it's no longer held against you. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. Now, 
the teacher in me wants to ask a question, so I'm going to. What does it mean to be forgiven? <laughs> You're like, like, how forgiven am I? You know, when you have an argument with your spouse, you've ever had one of those? And one of them finally says, I forgive you. You're like, yeah, but how forgiven am I right now? Anyone? No, just me? Okay. So when you confess your sins to God and you say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life just learning from you, following you, because I, just what you've done, I'm going to devote my life to you. What, like, what does it mean to be forgiven? What's that look like? 2 Corinthians 5.17 spells it out. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The new life. You have a new life. You are seen by God, covered by Jesus' sacrifice. You don't have to be perfect like, oh, no, I messed up. What do I do? Is it all gone now? That's why baptism. The old is gone. The new is here. You don't have to live in shame and regret. You can live forgiven. So your response, confess your sin to him. Step one, confess your sin to him. Where you go, you don't confess your sin to Muhammad or Buddha or, or just out loud to yourself or to your friend or even just to me. You don't, you don't do that. You confess your sin to God because it's only God that can forgive your sins. You speak that to him. But then it keeps going. Verse 20, for those of you who have decided to follow Jesus, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Not because we're narrow-minded. We just know the way. We're not being jerks. Some people do it in a jerky way. We're not being narrow-minded. In fact, you're narrow-minded if you're not telling people about Jesus. You're borderline hypocritical if you've accepted the salvation, yet you don't tell people. You, if you're a follower of Jesus, are a stinking ambassador, so commit to being his ambassador. Commit to it. Do it. Parents, this is your calling. That yes, it's important to get your kids in all the activities. It's fine. But do not neglect your fact that they need to know who Jesus is. So the only way we're going to end this sermon, I think, is most important. We're going to sing a song. But would you bow your heads and close your eyes? As we begin to get these questions answered in our lives, I think you and I ought to process, do you believe what Jesus said? He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can go to the Father except through Jesus, meaning he died for you, he got into your river, and he saved you. Are you willing to believe that and live in such a way? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to speak this to God, there's no like magic words, honest words. You can say this even in your own head to him. God, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that he came to this world, not just for the people of that time, but for me too. Come into my life. Come into my temple. Dwell there, Lord, and lead me for the rest of eternity. God, I pray for our whole church as we continually look at these questions and answers. Help us to receive this and to share it because it's true. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.